Happiness is an inside job. At Happy Healthy You, Connie Bowman helps us find our way with inspiring conversations and healthy ideas for living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. Happy Healthy You, and now here's Connie. Over here last night for dinner, and I just have to give a shout out to my mom because my mom taught me many things. But one of the things she taught me was that things that are supposed to shine should shine. What a great idea, huh? So she was usually referring to the light bulbs and the chandeliers. You know, if they had a little bit of dust on them, you should you should take some Windex and shine them up, or the mirrors, the glass in the windows, different things like that. But I believe that things that should shine should shine. It is true. We should all be shiny. We are lights in this world, so we should all shine. So whether you're a regular person working in whatever job you do, whether you're a mom, if you're a healer or a yoga teacher, I hope this podcast is meaningful for you. Hi, everybody. I'm Connie Bowman. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. Today, I'm talking to Hannah Leatherbury. She is a yoga teacher. She's been teaching for more than a decade. She also practices Ayurveda. She studied yoga therapy in 2011. She studied with the Boundless Yoga in DC and her Ayurveda training came from Wise Earth School of Ayurveda in Pennsylvania. She earned her 300-hour advanced yoga teacher training at the Yoga Center of Columbia in Columbia, Maryland, near me. And she says she kind of loves learning about all this stuff, yoga and Ayurveda, and sharing her discoveries with other yogis and teachers. She co-leads Skyhouse Yoga's 200-hour teacher training. She also directs a yoga apprentice program and a 30-hour Ayurveda immersion, which is coming up this fall. And she believes that direct experience and intuition are powerful ways to learn and that self-inquiry and reflection-based learning is an essential part of the learning process. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And she says that if we struggle with doubt, disillusionment, and restlessness, and we're looking for tools that can help us remember again and again, which is so true, how to listen and trust what we hear. Gosh, hi, Hannah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Don't we all want that, to learn to listen and trust what we hear? Yeah, and thank you for that introduction <laughs> and for hearing more about your mom and the idea of shining. Yes. Yeah. What a great idea, huh? For some reason, she was here last night and I, we just moved into a new house. So I'm walking around because I love her ideas and I just, I, I respect my mom, you know, all of us want our moms to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, appreciate what we do in the world, but I respect her opinion so much. And she made such a beautiful home for us as kids. But she used to say that she'd go around and she'd say, you know, she was a teacher. She was definitely a teacher. She taught aerobics back in the seventies. And, but she was a teacher at heart and she didn't like smudges on anything. She said things that should shine should really shine. Like don't like clean your, clean your glass, yeah. clean, your, clean your little bulbs on your, so you know, we all want to shine. Mm -hmm. We all want to shine. And we go through life and there are things that cause us to be stuck or dull or, you know, and every once in a while we just need to shine things up. So I think yeah. you're here to teach us how to shine. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that. So you, you, we talked before the podcast and you had a period of life where you felt a little bit of stuckness and you were a creative writing major. Here you had this great education. You came into the world, started, um, you know, working in the field, doing writing, mm -hmm. but it wasn't quite where you needed to be. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to study yoga and Ayurveda and yeah. Now you're shiny. <laughs> <laughs> so I um, grew up with all of the kind of dictates, I think, that most people um, hear when they're growing up about there are certain things that you do, and when you do them, you'll find a happy life. So, you know, find something that you're good at, get your education, find somebody who you love, find a place to live. And put all those things together, and voila, your life will be full and complete. Mm. And um, I, I had a period of disillusionment because I went 
through college. I got a um, scholarship to go to Goucher College, got a degree in creative writing, which I was very passionate about. I loved writing poetry. I loved writing fiction. Um, I got out into the world, and I realized, you know, in order to be there um, in the world and make a living, that I would use my writing in a way that I could help others but get paid to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I went into grant writing. I started writing grants for a nonprofit in Atlanta, and initially I, I felt like I was doing great work. And there came a period of time where I started getting really disillusioned. Um, one, because I was writing about things that I never actually got to see happen. Um, so we do these great projects in the field, and I would be back in the main office writing about the projects that I never actually saw happening. Um, and so I went through this period of thinking like, okay, well, I got my education. I, I'm making a steady living. I've got everything going for me. I had a boyfriend at the time who was treating me well. Um, and there was like this little pocket of shame somewhere inside of me because it was like, if you have all of these things, mm. everything that makes life good and you're still unhappy, like what's it going to take? And, you know, wow, you know, you have such a good life and, and you're not happy. Like, I think so many people can <laughs> can resonate with that, Hannah. I I feel like uh, there's so many people that are just kind of going through the motions and wondering when when that happiness switch is going to turn on. And for a lot of people, it's been a long wait. So <laughs> so what was it that kind of flipped the switch for you and turned on the light? Yeah. <laughs> well. Um... On a very like tangible level, I started leaving the office where I was working and sort of getting very disheartened and going to take yoga classes. And when I was in those classes, the beginning of it was a period of time where my brain basically turned off, mm. like being in a room where I was feeling my body go through these motions, I was breathing and... Um, there was something about having a practice that I could turn to that like shut the part of my brain off that was like, this is not enough. This is not enough. This is not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. Just mm. that part would shut off for like an hour and 15 minutes. And I can name it now. Back then, I don't think I realized that's what was happening, but I basically got addicted, you know, to going to this space where everything got clear mm -hmm. addiction has yes. such a such a <laughs> negative connotation can we maybe mm -hmm. reframe that because i i feel the same way about yoga what what do you feel like it was maybe this is important i think mm -hmm. what do you feel like it was that drew you back again and again what was that feeling that you had because we come to yoga for a certain feeling mm -hmm. that we're not getting from the rest of life yeah what was that can you name it um you're the teacher of teachers, so we should name yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I think the name for it is presence. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. It's it was the feeling that I was in my own skin and that I was in the right place at the right time, and that I wasn't supposed to be anywhere else, doing anything else achieving anything else, um, chasing after anything else, the feeling that I didn't have to solve anything or fix anything or rehash something that had gone wrong. But instead of all that, it was the feeling of just being a body on a mat, breathing. And, and that presence. Yeah, that was really liberating, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, it mm. felt like... Well, yeah, that feeling of like being in the right place at the right time that we're all sort of like seeking, mm -hmm. it would just happen. I think we can just end this podcast right now. <laughs> I feel like we, the, I think we just got to the essence of what yoga, it really has to offer for us. It's our own presence, our own beautiful presence. Wow. That's mm -hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But we won't end the podcast now. We'll keep going. <laughs> we'll keep going. So, so you 
you found yoga, you sort of expanded your practice. When did you actually leave your job? I think this, this mm. is something that many of us have this daydream, like my sister-in-law, for example, shout out to Joanna. I love you, Joanna. She is an artist mm -hmm. and, um, she, but she's been working this job for many years. She's really close to retirement and mm -hmm. she, I think she would love to just stay home and paint. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that idea of like, how do I do this? How do I make this shift? Not that we're saying to do that at, yeah. at any given point, but when did you do it and how did it work for you? Yeah. Um, it wasn't like I made a big plan mm -hmm. to have it happen, but things fell into a place in a way that it did happen. And that's kind of the way I want to frame, you know, a lot of the the things that have happened in my life. Every time I've tried to approach it from a like, this is my plan, this is the outcome, this is what I want to happen, disaster. Like, <laughs> disaster, like, yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. down the toilet. But if I've um, approached something with the, the feeling of like, this is really exciting to me, and I just start talking to people who come along, you know, who are put in my path, things start to, doors start to open. Mm -hmm. And if I can stop myself from getting so caught up into how is this door going to open and what is it going to look like when it opens, then I find that uh, it becomes a lot easier on me, for one. I'm mm -hmm. not getting so caught up in the outcome but it also turns into something like even better than I could have mm, initially totally, imagined. Totally. And, and that's what happened with teaching the yoga. I, I started taking yoga. I got really invested in it, not addicted, invested, <laughs> invested in it. And um, the studio where I had begun my practice actually ended up closing down very, very out of the blue. Like I showed up and there was a paper note on the door that just said, we're not open anymore. Oh dear. Um, so I started this journey of looking into different places to practice yoga and then kind of realizing, oh, yoga looks different here and it looks different here mm -hmm. and it looks different here. So I started realizing how big yoga was and I finally found a studio where, um, the woman who was teaching, her name is Swami Jayadevi, and uh, she was a Swami, you know, and I had no connection to like Swamis. My first yoga was Bikram yoga in a hot studio, mm -hmm. very physical. Um, and this was like classical hatha yoga. Um, Swami would come in and she'd be wearing, you know, these beads around her arms and jangly bangles and, you know, very Indian inspired clothing. Mm -hmm. And the studio had pictures on the walls of gurus. And there were, there were statues in the corner of Ganesha, Hindu gods. And I, I was sort of like, this feels a little bit like a cult. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure I'm mm -hmm. into this, but there's something about this place that keeps drawing me back. So like nervously I would go every Wednesday night to this, um, it, the class was called spiritual growth and meditation. So mm. it wasn't even a yoga class. You know, I was like, Oh, what am I getting myself into? But it was like, so compelling, um, compelling. Mm -hmm. And they would start off the practice with kirtan, which is devotional chanting, basically. So a bunch of people in a room singing some Sanskrit, which I had no previous background mm -hmm. with. So I was just sort of mouthing along. There's a poster board on the wall that I would kind of read off of. But after a while, you're repeating right. the right. phrases so many times that there's something that would happen every time where all of a sudden I would just let go of the feeling of feeling silly or feeling like I didn't know what I was doing. I would just let go of it. And I would just chant. And by the time the chanting was finished and the teacher would come in, um, I was just ready to hear what she had to say. And every week she would speak on some sort of a theme, joy, happiness, restlessness. And every time I felt like I could connect to what she was saying. And it would always go back to these yogic teachings and these old, old passages from Upanishads or Bhagavad Gita mm -hmm. or so I was like, okay, this yoga stuff, I mean, it's really, it's not just about my breathing and my mind and my body. 
which in and of itself is huge, but it's about like this, these teachings that have wisdom teachings basically Mm -hmm. that have been transferred again and again and again. Yeah. So I, um, started taking pretty seriously going to this studio three or four times a week. And I took their 200 hour yoga teacher training, which was a eight month program. And when I graduated, I thought, I think I do want to play with teaching, with sharing what has given me so much joy again in my life. And so I started teaching just one class a week. So, you know, in my head, I think maybe back there, if I could say there was a plan, it was like, well, maybe one day I can quit my job and just teach yoga. But the way it ended up manifesting is things at my day job got super busy and I was super invested in doing all that. But there was this little one night a week, Monday class Mm -hmm. that I would teach. It was a gradual (laughs) evolution. Oh, yeah. 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 It was just that for an entire year. Well, I like that you talk about this reflection-based learning and i know that you weave that into your yoga and your ayurveda your the people that you work with is this your process i mean i i too am very i believe in reflection and and mm. and there's a lot to be gained i mean journaling is great but what is your reflection process for mm. um looking back at your life just as we're talking here i'm i'm just kind of fascinated by it because i think it's something we can all learn from when we really take a look at where we were, where where we are, and where we're going, and without you know putting a lot of story around it, we can mm-hmm. learn so much about mm-hmm. our our path. Yeah, um, you talked about tapping into your inner wisdom and and that trusting it. I mean, I think that's huge for a lot of us. So this reflection is a big part of it. Can you can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about your process? Yeah, what um, you've learned. So I've learned that the process changes um, Mm -hmm. because when, and everybody who goes through a a yoga teacher training program these days, I think it's a requirement that you do a daily practice Mm -hmm. and um, some programs sort of dictate, you know, you're going to do a couple of sun salutations, you're going to do five minutes of meditation, it's going to look like this. Mm -hmm. And initially, I think that is helpful to have some structure to be given. Right. A practice, um, but over time, the interesting thing comes out of you saying, "Like, how does this practice work for me? Which parts of it work for me, and which parts of it don't work for me?" Mm. And for me, my reflection process is really when I come to my mat in the morning. Um, it's not the same practice every day, ever, ever. <laughs> You know, it's not a consistent, I'm going to do 15 minutes of asana, I'm going to do my five minutes of meditation, and then the day's just going to flow. It's kind of a showing up to the mat, and some days it's like, I just need to lie in shavasana for 10 minutes and see after that 10 minutes what's going to, what comes next. Some days I just show up and I'm just like, I'd like to write I'd like to read a passage of poetry from Mary Oliver because mm. I need some inspiration right now. Mm-hmm. And some days it's actually, you know, rolling around on my back doing things that nobody would call yoga, mm-hmm. but that are me feeling my body and breathing and becoming present. And so to me, it it, it is very yogic, mm-hmm. um, even though it's not classical hatha postures that you're taught i love how yoga just translates into life all of this everything you're saying just translates right into life the mat (laughs) is a microcosm of our life that's what i love this morning can i just share my Uh practice yeah (laughs) i came in this room where we're sitting recording this podcast and i just wanted to do headstands because i've i've been walking around my new house kind of trying to figure out how I could move things around, repurpose things without having to buy new. I just want to kind of make things fit in different rooms. And I'm like, I'm really stuck. I don't know. I want to, I'm thinking about moving this here, but I don't know if it's going to work. And I keep moving things and I'm like, no. And I make my husband do it. And he's like, if I have to move this thing one more time, I'm going to kill you. No, but, um, but he's very good about it. So, um, so today I said, I'm just going to do a headstand and I'm just going to like, Look, try to look at things from a different perspective. 
because I'm I'm not seeing you know the and and it worked and I like I was in a headstand and I did a few different versions of it and yeah. I don't know I felt like it kind of gave me a whole new vision of yeah. where I wanted this one mirror mm. <laughs> and here it is right here I love it <laughs> anyway it's been in several different rooms my husband was like. What? No more. No more. It's really heavy. <laughs> so anyway. So yeah, I appreciate that, that reflection. I think I just wanted to segue into that because I feel like every once in a while just stopping to reflect on what, because, you know, as life flows, flows, as, our, as we flow on our mat, sometimes we're just like, okay, what's next? Mm-hmm. And we stay, we are in, you know, not necessarily stuck, but in a position of wondering or stopping pausing to say okay what's next and you you took a trip to portugal and Mm -hmm. and you had a pretty profound experience can you talk about that and like how that kind of weaves into the story of of self-reflection and moving on to the next thing and where where it goes and i think i'm i'm asking this because i feel like when we talk to other people about their journeys we learn so much and, and so much of it applies to all of us so yeah so I think probably a lot of people could identify with this idea of um, when you start out to take a vacation, (laughs) (laughs) there are ways that you justify to yourself why you're going on vacation. Um, And so it's never, well, let me take that back. But for a lot of us, I don't think it's sort of um, the idea that like I deserve this vacation as much as... I've got this time, it looks like I've got the money, and I'm going to go. And that's kind of what happened to me. I was like, well, um, I made enough income. Uh, An opportunity with my family came up where my uncle was going to be renting a villa for the family. And I was like, how can I pass that up? How can you say no? Yeah, Portugal. Um, And I, I took the time. But then I started thinking, well, you know, I could probably write this off as a business expense if I found some yoga retreat to go to while I'm out there. (laughs) That's funny. I think about that, too. I'm like, I always think about ways I can make it work as a business. Exactly. Exactly. So I set this whole thing up. And um, prior to leaving for the, the trip, I had some health issues, some pretty pretty concerning health issues where I had been losing weight and no explanation for it. Did blood work with my doctor. The doctor came back and said, all, all the hormone levels look normal. Your thyroid's okay. We did an ultrasound to see if there was some sort of a mass inside of my stomach or something causing it that we hadn't thought about. Everything showed up normal there. Um, my family has a history of Crohn's disease, so you know somewhere in the back of my mind there was this, you know, anxiety. I think that, you know, when's the shoe gonna drop, and what's going on here. So, that was the whole setup for me leaving for this vacation of feeling really scared and really confused. Um, you know, I'd been practicing yoga and Ayurveda for. At that point, it would have been about eight years, and I thought, all this stuff I'm doing to keep myself healthy, and it's not working, what's going on? And I set an intention before I left for the vacation. I had been so careful to be looking at what I was eating Mm. because I had been losing this weight that when I was on vacation, I wasn't going to be concerned with thinking about what I was eating. I was just going to enjoy eating and enjoy drinking and enjoy relaxing and then come back and figure out what was quote-unquote wrong. So I left and I spent 14 days over there and really at no point did the trying to figure out what to eat really bother me like it bothered me back home because Hmm. the first section I was with my family and we were cooking together it was like a beach vacation and it rained the entire time. So mm. what we did to pass the time was we would cook with each other. Wow. So it became this kind of communal talking back and forth. I wasn't so worried about exactly how the flavor was going to turn out. It was just sort of 
You it know. sounds so European. It was very <laughs> European, right? We just like took in the I Portuguese, you know, just yeah. like, ah. Um, and then the second week I ended up at this yoga retreat and all the meals were prepared. So, and they were on the schedule, you know, and I mm-hmm. never had to think very hard about what I was being fed. So flash forward, this is sort of the apex of the whole story. Um, we had a yoga practice every day at the yoga retreat, obviously. And it's the end of the practice on the third day. And I'm in Shavasana. And um, the room that we've been practicing yoga in is this glassed-in room on three sides. It's windows, and the windows look out at mountain. You don't actually even see ground. Mm. You see sort of mountainside, and you see horizon, and you see clouds. And I've been marveling at the vista, at the view, and thinking to myself, as I was practicing the yoga, like if I could have imagined paradise, this is Mm -hmm. what it would look like. And here I am. And I cannot believe that I'm here. And as I'm lying down in Shavasana, I have my eyes closed, but I still have this vision of the sky around me and the beauty and the paradise. And there's a split second where I'm lying in Shavasana and something inside of me clicks And it's a recognition that all of the awe that I've been putting outside of myself at this beautiful vista in front of me, I could direct back in towards me. So there was this recognition that um, different forms of beauty, what's outside of me and what's inside of me, but not different at all Mm -hmm. that really what's out there and what's in here deserves the same level of awe Mm, what a beautiful image Mm -hmm. to to have and then to realize that everything that we're seeing is actually what we're reflecting from inside Mm -hmm. we're shining outward (laughs) yeah i love that so coming back to the presence i just had chills when you said that because you know we talked about that first realization that yoga gives us that sense of our our own presence mm-hmm. and then you take it to the next level you start practicing and practicing and then you realize your presence is really this beautiful thing that you're seeing outside it's really you mm-hmm. i mean how profound is that yeah so yeah so beautiful so so what happened next yeah what happened next in your story it's right. like this <laughs> the so, story of my yoga journey right <laughs> so it's the um well the first thing that happened after i had that experience is you know i quickly and they say that this happens you have sort of an experience where you experience yoga you experience mm-hmm. union mm-hmm. you know you experience the fact that there's no separation boom yeah and then the minute you realize that that's happening you're out of the yoga because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like oh this is happening this is yeah. so cool but it gets exciting but it's it gets exciting. very exciting like it happens for just <laughs> such a split second and then you want to tell somebody and then you're out of it yeah. right and yeah. then you're out of it i can't wait to tell but <laughs> there's a lingering aftertaste mm-hmm. um when you intellectually understand something. Mm-hmm. So I'd been studying yoga for so long and I intellectually I knew that's what yoga is. It's no separation. Mm-hmm. Everything is one. Mm-hmm. But to have a visceral experience where your body says there is no way this is not true, where your body's like, this is the truth, had happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so from there, it was almost like I finally let myself land at the retreat and realized that I deserved to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, before everything leading up to me getting to the retreat was like, well, I can make this a business business expense. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. can, it's convenient because it'll be tag-tailed on my family vacation and I'm already over there. So everything was very rational in getting me. Justifying it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was justifying getting to this place. And after that experience, it was kind of like, this is like a non-negotiable. Like you, this is something that, you deserve like there's no question that you ever didn't deserve this and now that you're here um and I hear people say this a lot like sometimes it's the third day of vacation where you finally are like Mm. I'm on vacation takes a while yeah yeah Yeah. so I had that experience and I came back and I and, and I knew that whatever health stuff had been going on before I left 
would be resolved. And I came back and just as a, you know, comparison, before I left, I was down to 101 pounds and my mm. average weight is about 110. I'm a, I'm a small person. Yeah. So that's losing... a lot of weight for a little person to lose. Yeah. 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 Um, and when I came back, I was back up to 106 and now I'm back up to 113 and it just feels like the, there was something about, um, realizing that I'm designed intelligently, that Mm -hmm. my body actually is designed by something that's a lot smarter than I am and maybe a lot smarter than the experts, the doctors. And if I can give myself space and say, ooh, body, you deserve, you deserve me to be gentle with you for a little while, to like just take a step back and listen rather than trying to fix you, that, um, that maybe that's also a way to approach healing. And, and that's what happened for me. Um, the pause. The pause. The pause that refreshes. What is that? That's a, I think that's a Coke slogan. Maybe. (laughs) But it's true. I mean, how often do we have situations that come up in our lives and we, we just, we go to the doctor, we like mask the symptoms with drugs or whatever, just to Mm -hmm. kind of take away the, the pain or the, whatever it is that's causing us Mm dis-ease when we're really not listening to the wisdom that is in there so how perfect that you have gone through this so and you've been able to so beautifully reflect upon it so that you can bring it back to your teaching and impart this knowledge through your yoga and your Ayurveda Mm -hmm. teachings and now your your work um, your work with um, which we'll talk about in a little Mm -hmm. bit your work with trauma victims Mm -hmm. Um, do you reflect back now on those those health issues and see very clearly why they happen to us why they happen to you. Oh, yeah. I said that. That was sort of a Freudian slip there. It happened to us because I believe that what happened to you happens to all of us. Yeah. And sometimes we don't notice, but you noticed so perfectly. So. Yeah. Um, and I think, as you're saying, like the, the study of Ayurveda, too, one of the first things that kind of fascinated me about it was that um, someone said Ayurveda is really the study that we are nature, Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, that's a beautiful thing, you know, like a beautiful saying, but what do you mean when you say that? And um, as I started to learn and dig deeper and deeper into Ayurveda, um, I came across a teacher, Maya Tawari, and she's with the Wise Earth School of Ayurveda. And one of the things that she said that really resonated was, um, in this life, we are not uh, exhausted or fatigued because we are doing too much, which is what a lot of us think, you know, I'm doing too much, so I'm tired. She said, we're exhausted because we are doing so much out of alignment with the rhythms of nature. Mm. And that totally struck a chord with me. And Ayurveda is this study of trying to figure out, you know, this is what's happening with the season this is what's happening with the number of hours of daylight, the number of hours of darkness. This is what's happening with the temperature of the air, the quality of the humidity. And at the same time, I've got all of that going on inside of my own body too. Sometimes I'm running a little hot. Sometimes I'm fired up. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just can't slog through something. And how to bring those things into balance is... I think something that's healing because what you're doing is you're listening to the message rather than trying to fix, um, rather than trying to fix a problem, you're trying to say something's gone out of balance and there is always a balancing point to come back to. Mm -hmm. And so I can do a practice, you know, I can make a certain type of food because it brings me joy and the joy lifts me and my body heals versus I have this diagnosis and I need to take X, 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 and X in order for me to go back to normal. Mm. 
Yeah, I love this idea because it it takes us off that roller coaster of these extreme swings of disease and health and brings us more into equilibrium. It's a much more gentle approach. And just talking to you, you're such a a gentle, sensitive. um, I just feel like you're so tapped into your yourself. Mm -hmm. You know that I think a lot of people really want that. Um, And your journey is such a an inspiring one in so many ways, just because you've, you've really allowed yourself to go there and be present to yourself to say, what is it? What do I need in this moment? Mm -hmm. What do I need on the mat? I need a headstand. I need a, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I wish I had that every day. I don't have it every day, but I feel like it's, that's why I do this podcast because I feel like we need that, the holistic view of our body, mind, spirit to, to be in balance, to be in equilibrium. And yoga Mm -hmm. and Ayurveda are such great tools. And so now you're taking these tools out and working with trauma victims. You want to talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's the, for me, that's part of the spiritual um, part of our happiness uh, Mm. protocol that, Mm. that we need. We need to find ways for me to give back, to, to um, extend what we have learned into the world and, and, and that, that's what really gives us joy. I think that joy piece that we find comes from that. Yeah. So how did you get involved in, in the, um, the work you're doing? Yeah. So the, um, the trauma community is one that I'm still, um, I'm still sort of making inroads with um, as an official community, quote unquote. But um, I attended a trauma training with a group called Exhale to Inhale, and they're a nonprofit organization based in New York City. And the founder of that organization, her original intention was to work with women who'd been through domestic violence and to help them um, get back into touch with feeling safe in their body through yoga. So in the training, one of the things that struck me um, is that we were doing a quote-unquote trauma-sensitive yoga practice and talking about what trauma is. And as the woman up front, the facilitator, is leading us through this trauma-sensitive practice, I'm actually in my own head predicting what she's going to do next because what she's teaching is exactly how I teach my classes. It was the type of language she was using. So, for example, she would use invitational phrases like, and now if you're ready, or you might try this, versus put your right arm here, put your left arm here, Mm -hmm. put your foot here. There's a big difference. It's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so her language was very similar. The movements that she chose to do were very similar. Um, the fact that she had a setup so that we could face the door and see it, like everybody in the room was able to see the door, the entryway to mm-hmm. the room. Which is important for trauma victims. Very important. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, I've never officially been trained until now in trauma-sensitive yoga, but over the course of teaching yoga for six years, somehow I've started to teach in this way. So it makes me think that somewhere mm-hmm. in my own background... I I have this trauma, and this is the way I teach because this is the way I would want to be taught. And that the people that I've been encountering just at the gym, at the college where I teach, and in the yoga studios where I teach, that many of the people who come back to my classes probably have trauma as well. And when she described what trauma is, um, I thought it was beautiful because she said... My trauma, something that's traumatic in my life, isn't going to be something that's traumatic to you. We all have different thresholds Mm -hmm. for trauma. So me, I could go to a really crowded DMV, be in a line for 20 minutes, have people yelling next to me, and experience trauma. Mm -hmm. Because trauma is basically anything that the nervous system isn't able to process and then stores somewhere in your body because it doesn't know how to let it go Mm -hmm. it's like there somewhere somewhere it's living somewhere Um, you might go to that same dmv be able to stand in the line for 60 minutes have people yelling around you go home be fine 
Mm, I don't know. I can't stand the DMV. <laughs> I try to do it online. Nowadays, you can do everything online, so it's so much less traumatic. But uh, one example that comes to mind that, I, and I have so limited experience, but when I teach uh, for a forward fold example, for example, um, and your head's down, and I say, instead of grab your elbows, because I, I know that's a word that is is sort of can be offensive to some people, trauma victims. I mean, grabbing mm-hmm. anything, it's just not as gentle. Instead, just, um, you know, reach around and yeah. place your hands on your elbows or, or it, it, and I didn't, I never thought about that before someone mentioned that in one of my trainings, but mm-hmm. it's really important. The words that we use with people who have been through trauma. Yeah. Um, are there any more examples that come to mind? I mean, that was the only thing that I could think of at the time. Yeah. Um, some other examples are just, um, touch in a in a yoga classroom mm-hmm. um so for me i, I rarely give hands-on adjustments mm-hmm. to my students that's kind of a new thing i mean now the movement is toward less mm-hmm. adjustments because of this i guess yeah um and i know in my own practice i've gotten a lot out of teachers who have offered me hands-on adjustments and i've also had really bad <laughs> experiences mm-hmm. with hands-on sure. adjustments sure. um so I think um, the big things really are, you know, invitational language, helping people, because we do say as a lip service, you know, this is a yoga practice and trust your body. Mm-hmm. But if I'm telling you to trust your body and then I'm coming over and fixing you, mm-hmm. what yeah. message does that send? Right. You're not, you're not doing something right, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah there's so much to, um, so much thought put into that now that and as yoga teachers we really need to be aware of what the students are experiencing mm-hmm. as they're as they're taking the class mm-hmm. so I'm wondering if uh, you might want to lead us through a little meditation because you have the best voice and <laughs> and you're so gentle <laughs> and I feel like I, I feel like we can all benefit from wherever we are in in our journeys Mm-hmm. Um, we can all benefit from taking a pause and reflecting and being still and sensing our presence. And I wonder if you could just take us there for a little, a brief amount of time. Before we do that, though, can you give us some more information about where uh, we can work with you if we're a yoga teacher mm-hmm. and we want to work with you to sort of hone our, our skills, mm-hmm. um, if we're interested in Ayurveda, mm-hmm. um, studying with you, or if we just want to take a class and and experience henna yeah. as a teacher, <laughs> where can we find more information about you? Of course. So I have a website. Uh, it's my name, hannahleatherberry.com. And I have a Facebook page where I put uh, inspiration, sort of daily inspirations, if you're just looking for, you know, a, a lifting quote, you know, to start the day with. Um, and I teach at a studio in Silver Spring called Skyhouse Yoga. We have a 200-hour teacher training that's starting in October. And we also have a 30-hour Ayurveda immersion that's starting in September. So um, in addition to those two programs, there's an apprenticeship program for anyone who's interested in um, maybe is feeling like they're either a little flat after their first teacher training and needing to be re-inspired or feeling really like they graduated the teacher training, but they're not sure what they're doing with that certificate, where they want to take it, who they want to teach. So I offer mentoring and... um, it's in the form of one-on-one phone call coaching sessions. Wow, that's cool. In addition to doing um, meeting up every other week on a Wednesday night to practice teach together and get feedback. Um, because there's a different, as they say, a different brand of granola for everyone. Yes, <laughs> yes. So we need to find our our specific brand of granola which is hard I've been teaching for a year I haven't quite like honed in completely you know yeah. but I'm starting to find out I mean you, you kind of it kind of unfolds it does on its own but yeah yeah so awesome awesome well thank you so much for um teaching us a little bit better how to shine 
shine. Mm. I think you're a very shiny soul, and I look forward to spending more time with you. And so I'm going to give you the mic and okay. and let you guys just experience Hannah. So and I will be meditating right with you. So so um, everybody enjoy. Here's Hannah. Okay, so this is a meditation that uh, is going to be based in, we've been talking a lot about presence and a lot about um, finding joy, I think, in, in what we're doing. So it's a, it's a bit of a gratitude meditation, and you can experience it with a mudra. A mudra is a, a way to shape your body, to direct energy in a certain way. So often it's done with your hands. And this mudra is called Lotus Mudra. So if you like, you can take your hands, um, bring them sort of to a prayer pose with the palms of your hands touching initially. But to make the Lotus Mudra, you'll open up the middle fingers, the ring fingers, and the index fingers. This means your pinky fingers and your thumbs will still be touching. And when you look at that shape in your hands, there's uh, almost looks like the petals of a flower, each of your fingers. There's a center to the flower. So down in the middle would be sort of that, uh, the space in the very center of the flower. So you can take this mudra, this shape, and hold it towards your body in such a way that you feel like your elbows and your shoulders can relax as you're sitting. Yeah. And you can feel the base of your body, whether you're sitting in a chair or sitting on the floor, um, so whether it's your sitting bones or your sitting bones in your feet, you start to feel the connection down into the earth with the bottom of your body. And you can feel the shape that you're holding with your hands, the, the fact that there's space between your hands. And you can feel the length of your spine, the idea that you're almost a conduit between the base of your body, what you're touching down into on the ground, and the top of your head that's sort of in the air. So you can almost think of yourself as this bridge between the air and the ground. And right in the middle of that bridge, there's this shape in your hands. So just for a moment, if it's comfortable to open your eyes, if they've been closed, if you could look down into your hands and just begin to see the lines that are on your palms. Noticing if there is a coloration to your palms, if they're pink or dark, or maybe they're somewhat mottled. And noticing if your palms are sweaty or dry, if they're trembling or steady. And just for the next few breaths, curious about your own hands and the beauty of your own body. And now letting your eyes close, still feeling that you have this um, shape in front of your body you can bring to mind one person in your life who's easy to love, meaning it's not like a complicated, um, it doesn't feel complicated to just say I love you to this person. And it it could be any person, someone who's passed. Uh, It could actually even be a pet. But some being where it's easy to just outright love. And as you bring this being into mind, you can imagine that face inside of your palms, like you're holding them very close to you in front of your heart. And as you're here, just imagine what it would be like to say, thank you. Imagine the look in their eyes, maybe the smile, 
when you say thank you. And just let your gratitude, your appreciation flow outwards. And you might even let the image of their face begin to fade, but still feel that there is a sensation in your body somewhere, maybe a warmth, maybe a feeling of expansion. Let yourself sit with that feeling in your body. And as you sit with it, you might begin to bring all of the fingers to touch one another again. The palms of your hands to touch. And draw your thumbs to the center of your chest. Taking these last few breaths to realize the fullness that's within your life. I'm taking a deep breath in. And on your exhale, let it completely go. Let all the breath out. And take another deep breath in. And let it go completely. ready, just returning to a normal breath and starting to let your eyes take in the light of the room around you if they've been closed, or releasing your hands. And returning to the room. Namaste. Happy, A Journey of Hope, Healing, and Waking Up is a small but powerful book about healing from one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a child. It's about love and sadness and being human. The nine lessons in Back to Happy are intended to be food for a broken but awakening soul. Healing from grief and loss is possible. Finding joy again is possible. Back to Happy, in paperback, Kindle and audiobook at Amazon.com. For more information, visit backtohappybook.com.